0: It was a beautiful, crisp fall night. A hundred thousand or so of us had gathered for Thanksgiving night on the campus of the University of Texas with stomachs full of turkey dressing and either pumpkin or pecan pie. You could go either way, I suppose. Everyone... Even the people in purple, sprinkled among the sea of burnt orange within Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium, seem to be very grateful, emerging peacefully from the unstoppable tryptophan-induced nap that just happens every Thanksgiving. I'm not sure if it was the fireworks or if it was the focus on the bounty of things and the blessings that we have in our lives, but everyone seemed to be singing out the national anthem. I mean, really from the heart, people were belting it out and seemed truly engaged in the words of that wonderful anthem. Our hearts were filled with hope with many conversations taking place around me about the BCS bowl game, some people talking about how much they hated the whole system, others talking about how they wished that it would change, and others seeming to have some appreciation for it. But also in light of what would be a University of Texas victory over number five TCU and what that would mean for the team in the midst of a year of rebuilding, It seems like it's always a year of rebuilding, right? That's just what you say when you lose. But also with a brand new coach. It didn't take long, however, for the good feelings and the joy to shift to anxiety and anger as TCU began scoring and as they began dominating the field. As Longhorn quarterback Tyrone Swoops started throwing interceptions. And as the referees seemed either blind or paid off, you could almost see the air getting sucked out of the stadium as the hope of our team's victory was disappearing quickly. The people sitting around me who had entered as peaceful and pleasant pilgrims, all coming from whatever feast they had been to. They were now yelling curses at their team and the refs. In fact, one of them kept calling the ref Curly. I'm not sure why. Rather than saying happy Thanksgiving to one another, as they did as we all came in and sat down, everyone was greeting one another with those kinds of words. I was worried about the guy sitting next to me, previously quiet, totally engaged in his headphones and whatever was going on inside of them. But I began to get really worried with the veins in his neck now bulging as he shouted some words I haven't heard used so emphatically since my seventh grade gym class when our coach taught us, yelled at us, a whole new vocabulary. I remember going home with that vocabulary and getting into a great deal of trouble. Someone behind me yelled what we were all thinking. Come on, swoops, it's time to show up. Hope for a post-half rally for our team kept us in the seats. But once the turnovers continued into the third quarter, the aisle soon began to stream and fill with people who were leaving with their heads hung low, taking the walk of shame before things got even worse. Those of us who stayed hadn't given up yet. We still had our hope. And we sat there with our hope that our quarterback would finally come alive and bring us back from a 21-3 to lead. It felt like we were fools. Taking cues from the jumbotron to get on our feet and make some noise. And earlier in the game, that wasn't a problem. We could all stand up and begin to chant and to say, Come on, team, you can do it. But chanting, Texas fight, now sounded ridiculous. No one felt like they had any fight left. The cheerleaders were giving their best. Of course, they were clueless, as they always are, about what's actually happening on the field. But even Bevo the Longhorn, whose birthday it was, it was his 98th birthday on this particular day had turned his back and sat down. as if to say, I can't watch this any longer. We were all at the point where hope was turning to despair. It is that place when you begin to feel like things are never going to go your way again. That there's no way that you could ever catch up in life. Have you ever had that feeling? Things start out in your life on the right note with a, vi- a vision for a bright future and the sweet taste of success and the uplifting hope of a victory to come. But then an interception happens. The, the victory that was meant for you, it went to someone else. It was right there in your hands. It was within your grasp And something in life came along and knocked it out of your hands and out of your ability to control. The success you were enjoying in life had been turned over to forces beyond your control. Do you know that feeling? Maybe you have that feeling this morning. Or maybe it's a feeling you've known in the past and you hope that it never comes again. The one that comes along when you put all of your hope in someone or something, only to have them let you down. The people in Isaiah's time were experiencing that feeling of hopelessness. The year was around 538 BC, and the Israelites' long time in captivity had come to an end. King Cyrus had conquered their captors in Babylon. And if you remember, they had been captured while they were in Jerusalem and taken away to this very distant land, to to the Babylonian Empire. And it was there that they would be held as slaves and working for someone else, far away from the things that they knew in their lives and the the comforts of home. They were stripped away from all of their uh, religious Symbols and and all of the uh, the meaning that they could find as they would go to the synagogue. And they now were able to go home. This was a victory for them for sure, even though it came from Cyrus, from a, a foreign king. They could once again know the comfort of being at home. Along the way though, and certainly when they returned home, they did what you and I would no doubt do. They began to bicker with one another. They bickered about what what once belonged to who and who would be in charge because everything was starting over for them. The property that that they owned before and the the, uh, houses and all the things that they had before probably weren't there any longer. It was time to start over. It was time to reclaim what they owned. And so they fought and bickered. I'm sure greed, territorialism, and class envy were at the core of their problems as well. And the tight cohesion that they had developed by necessity while they were away in captivity was challenged and it was loosened by their newfound freedom. In the midst of all of this, they cried out to God whom they knew had come down to their rescue before. They cried out for God to come down and to do it all over again sounds a lot like what took place in egypt and we looked at that text not so long ago the israelites or the hebrew people were uh, caught in slavery in egypt and they cried out to god for god to come and to deliver them and sure enough god came down and delivered them and so here they are all over again And they remembered, as it says here in verse 4, They remembered from ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for Him. They remembered. They also admitted their sinful ways. If you read through this text, it's a great confession that they give they're crying out to God and it's as if they're saying okay maybe we really messed this one up maybe you've been punishing us and if that's the case then we confess we admit our sinful ways and we rely on you your sovereign mercy to get us out of captivity but they held on to their hope waiting on God to show up once again That's a place you and I might be extremely familiar with. That place of waiting on God to show up. That place of recognizing there is no hope at all for you unless God intervenes. This past week, as racial tensions in Ferguson erupted into the streets and as peaceful demonstrations against injustice Turned into violence, tear gas, and destruction. In fact, this morning there is a church. The church that Michael Brown's father attended is no longer there. Somebody burned it down. That church is having to worship elsewhere. But in the midst of all of that, we found ourselves in that place as a nation if you saw what was taking place on TV, if you kept up with it on social media as you had conversations about it in different kinds of water coolers and places that you might find yourself during the day, it was one of those where we began to feel helpless as a nation. What happened there was a reaction to what has happened elsewhere in our nation as black children are treated differently than white children by police and in some courts of law. What happened there is not a new thing. Certainly, we know that here in the South. What a great need we have as a country to recognize that we still have systems of racialization in our society, ones ones whose presence perpetuates racism, And it's a much less obvious version of racism, isn't it? We've done a pretty good job of covering it up and making it look nice because we have laws on the books that uh, condemn that sort of thing and hold us accountable for that sort of thing. But we have come up with ways to get around that. Sometimes those ways are exposed. What a great need we have to say the prayer That we have heard from Isaiah today. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. God, that you would come into this space. That you would intervene. We also find that we are in that place of near hopelessness in our personal lives. Where things may not be as they should. Between spouses. Between parents and children. Or brothers and sisters, maybe you experienced a bit of that when you gathered together for Thanksgiving. Sometimes these holidays where we gather are the hardest times of the year. As family relationships are strained... The complexities of life today with the enormous weight of stress on families can divide us to the point when we wonder if there ever will be better days ahead. Add to that the challenge of financial strains and we end up with the kind of gloom the Israelites had to the point of thinking God is against us. Have you ever looked at your life and think God must be against me? Nothing is going right. Everything is falling apart, and I keep praying, and I keep praying, and it seems like God just doesn't hear my prayer. And at times we conclude that our problems are deserved, that they are punishment from God because of our sin. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens, God, and come down. Don't we also teeter on the thin edge of hope and despair when we hear the the news of another shooting in Highland or somewhere else in Shreveport? When we hear of another robbery, another student who drops out of school, and when another family becomes homeless because they are behind on their rent. If you drive around the neighborhood this next week, you'll see different front yards with all of the stuff of someone piled out there because they could not pay the rent? Is it their problem? Let them deal with it? Or is there something that we might be able to do Or just when we feel that we have moved the ball further down the field with education, we encounter a third grade child at the Highland Blessing dinner on a Thursday night who doesn't know how to read. Our hope that all the efforts being made by so many in our community uh, are making a difference suddenly seem naive. We're just foolish for the things that we do in light of all of the things that are collapsing around us. Maybe our dreams and hopes are just too lofty. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens, God, and come down. That is really the best thing we can say, isn't it? For in so doing, we are keeping our hope where it belongs. We are keeping our hope in God, remembering that from ages past no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for Him. In asking God to come down to us, we are remembering our need to wait. We are remembering that God is still God. We wait not with a passive posture of piety, but with an active response to what we see God already doing in our midst. We express our hope in God when we take actions to disassemble structures of racism in our community. We express hope when we do what is good and necessary to bring healing to our broken relationships with each other. Promoting reconciliation rather than division in our marriages and in our friendships and in our family systems. We embrace hope in God by addressing the needs right here in our neighborhood. If you want to do something about Ferguson, do something right here in this neighborhood. Finding that God's solutions to crime and to poverty and to education begin when we seek to be and bring the change that we hope to see. We hear these words of Isaiah as a much needed charge to get up off our seats and to make some noise with our lives, standing squarely with our feet on the hope that God has given to us and the hope that God isn't done yet. We may be down, and the score may be awfully one-sided, but the game isn't over. It isn't over for our society. It isn't over for you. Let me say that again. It isn't over for you. I don't care how bad you say it is. I don't care how much darkness that you see around you, how much pain that you feel. God has given us the promise. It isn't over yet. So yes, we hope actively allowing God to mold and to shape us like clay working us into God's ultimate plans for the world. And as we begin the season of Advent today, we should do so by saying to God with Isaiah, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Would you say that out loud with me? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. But ending it with the blessed realization that God did. And God will come down again.